My name's Todd Wright. I'm one of the pastors here. By the way, didn't Kaylin and Jen do a good job too? They did so good. And yeah, give it up. And one of the fun parts about not leading worship is when I sit in the congregation, some of y'all can sing. I heard some harmonies this morning. It was great. I loved it. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 today. And as I was reading Mark 10 this week, it kept reminding me of a thing. You know, I was reading through it and trying to pray about what God wanted us to talk about today, and it just kept being reminiscent of something, and it took me a day or two to figure out what exactly it was reminding me of, and it reminded me of something that happened to me uh, about 20 years ago. Uh, Kristen and I were newly married, and I got hired to go lead worship at a Disciple Now weekend, and so I took some musicians, and I went to this church up in North Texas, and we led worship. And on Saturday night, we led worship. It was kind of our final night to lead for these teenagers. And we were packing up our gear. And the guitar player, Adam, and I noticed that there are these teenagers that are gathered around one of the adult leaders over off the stage. And so we walk over there, and the guy is doing magic, okay? And I, he, wasn't, he wasn't supposed to perform magic. He was a hobby magician, but he's doing magic. And it was, he was very, very good. And he's doing tricks, and then he does like his big finale trick, and it was amazing. Have you ever seen a magic trick that like warps your reality? It's so good. You're like, what is time? Where am I? I mean, it was so good. In fact, Adam, my guitar player, standing beside me, this guy, and I don't remember what he disappeared or what the guy did, but he did his big flourish, and the magic trick happened, and I remember Adam quietly going, this guy's a wizard, and so Adam runs back onto the stage and he gets his laptop and he comes back and he opens up his laptop and he turns on the webcam and he sort of barks at this poor guy and says, do that trick again. And everybody kind of looks and I'm like, Adam, what are you doing? We're guests here, <laughs> you know? And he goes, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna video this and I'm gonna go back to the hotel room and I'm gonna watch this all night. I'm gonna figure out how in the world he does this. And the guy very politely obliges, he does the trick again. Adam gets his recording. Well, because I was married, Kristen and I that night, we're staying at the youth pastor's house. Adam and the rest of the band go to the hotel for the night. And so we come back to church on Sunday morning and I see Adam and his eyes are kind of bleary and I'm like, hey, did you figure out the trick? And he says, no but we watched it probably a hundred times. And I remember being jealous, not because I wanted to prove the trick, because I thought that would be so awesome to watch magic all night long, that there's something very exciting about watching a person be great at a thing, just over and over consistently great. Maybe you're a sports fan. Maybe that's happened to you before. You've been watching a game or you've been at a game and there's some player who makes all the right moves and all the right decisions, has this legendary game. That is the dream. Maybe magic's not your thing. Maybe sports isn't your thing. Maybe you're the person who watches cooking shows for three hours in one block and you're amazed at how they're cooking and the gear they have and how calm they are and how great they can just take a spice and just throw it in. They're not even measuring. There is something so exciting about watching a person be great. And that's what Mark 10 started making me think of this week because it is this picture of Jesus just being consistently awesome. 
So if you read through Mark 10, you will see all of these things that Jesus is just hitting home run after home run after home run. Now the problem is Mark 10 is far too big for us to tackle. We're not going to take the whole chapter today. We're just going to look at a small section. But let me give you a highlight reel, okay? And I encourage you to read Mark 10 when you get home. Here's what happens in Mark 10. Jesus gets tested by the Pharisees about divorce. He blows everybody's mind with that. He has an interaction with some kids where we see his heart for children. He teaches a powerful lesson about grace when questioned by the rich young man. We're going to talk about those two today. He explains what it means to truly be a disciple in light of persecution and hardship. He foretells his death. He teaches his followers about who gets glory in heaven. And oh yeah, he heals a blind guy. Mark 10 is amazing. And this is what's amazing about the Gospels, because when you read the Gospels, you get to see firsthand what Jesus is doing. Some of you, when you became a Christian, somebody gave you that advice and said, hey, you're new to the faith, you're a new follower of Jesus, read the Gospels. And you did that, and you got to walk alongside Jesus through his ministry and see him be consistently great and consistently awesome over and over and over again. If you're here and you're not a Christian, and maybe you're, you don't even know if you believe this stuff or not. Let me encourage you, read the Gospels. You will see Jesus firsthand. So today, the way we're going to look at Jesus firsthand is going to start in verse 13. We're going to be in Mark 10, 13 through 22. Let me read it to you. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So this is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture. These verses show us a picture of Jesus and his heart for people and what he calls us to. It is also a picture in both of these stories with the kids and with the rich young man. It is a picture of the different ways we can respond to what Jesus calls us to. And we're going to actually start with the back half of the text. Okay, we're going to start. We're going to talk about the rich young man first, and then we're going to talk about the kids as we look at these different ways to respond to Jesus. Now, I'm going to say something that's a little bit controversial. I think because we know how this story ends, we know that the rich young man does not follow Jesus. So Jesus says, come follow me. Scripture just told us, disheartened, he leaves. He has great possessions. He does not want to let him go. Because we know that that story ends the worst way possible, I think sometimes we gloss over how this guy approached Jesus. And I think in the beginning, he gets a bad rap. 
I know that may be a little controversial, but what I think happens is you hear this story enough, you know how it ends, and we sort of imagine all of this, these things about this guy, that he was smug, that he was arrogant, that he, that he came at Jesus the wrong way. And so I want to look at Scripture because I think the power of the story is to see how he actually approached Jesus. The first thing I want you to know about this guy is that he was eager. The scripture says, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy runs to Jesus. He kneels before Jesus. He asked Jesus a question. He was eager. From reading scripture here in Mark 10, this seems like a fairly sincere beginning of a conversation. Doesn't seem like he's threatening Jesus. Doesn't seem like he's mad at Jesus. He was eager. He also was respectful. He was respectful. He kneels at Jesus' feet and he calls him good teacher. He paid great honor to Jesus by kneeling, by calling him a teacher. What we can probably deduce is he was calling him good rabbi. And in that day and age, a rabbi was highly esteemed in the culture. In fact, it was a rule back then that a, if a rabbi walked in, you had to stand up. It didn't matter if it was his first day as a rabbi, you stood up because he was esteemed and honored as the rabbi who would have all of this wisdom. So this young guy was eager and he was respectful. He comes at Jesus, he kneels, and he asks him this question. He was eager, he was respectful, but he misunderstood. He asked this question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think we can focus there on the worst part of that question, which is do. So he's saying, hey, Jesus, what, what must I do to get this thing? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And you know, if you think about inheritances in our culture, and even back in Jesus' day, a lot of times inheritance is sort of tied to obedience, isn't it? You may know people who as maybe a parent or maybe a grandparent was nearing the end of their life. They start wanting to help out more. They start being uh, more present, making more visits because a good child gets a good inheritance. That's just how culture works a lot of times. It's a sad fact. And so this guy is coming to Jesus and saying, okay, I want, I want this thing. I want eternal life. You tell me how to do it. Tell me what I need to do. What must I do? He wanted to inherit eternal life by doing the right things. Verse 19, Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, people get confused about this. You will hear people say, oh my goodness, this is Jesus de denying his divinity. This is Jesus saying that he's not God. No, this is Jesus knowing that this man had a superficial understanding of what goodness is. Jesus understood that this guy had it wrong. Jesus knew that he misunderstood. How did he know? Well, there's two ways I think we can say that Jesus knew. The first is he's Jesus. He's the son of God with all power and all wisdom, and he knows this man's heart. He knows what he's asking. He knows what this young man is imagining will be the answer. He knows what this man is looking for. But let's say you're here and you don't believe Jesus is the son of God. Let's just say, hypothetically, you're here, you're researching Christianity, and you go, well, I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, so how could Jesus know what this guy was asking? Well, Jesus very easily can put this together. This guy shows up, 
He thinks I'm a rabbi. He thinks I'm a teacher. He's asking me for a list of things to do. This guy is showing up and saying, give me some homework. Hey, teacher. Hey, teacher, can you just give me the stuff? You know, some of you have done that sometimes. You go, you go find a teacher and you ask for extra credit. You know, you grab the teacher after class. Hey, can you give me some stuff to do so that I, I can get right, that I can get my grade right? Jesus is able to put this together, that this guy thinks he's a teacher. Jesus understands that this guy's real question is, good teacher, tell me the good things I need to do to get in good with you. Jesus understands that's what he's asking. He has, a, he has a horrible misunderstanding about what goodness is. And he's saying, good teacher, tell me the good things I need to do to get in good with you. And Jesus then points him to the Father. Jesus then exalts the Father by speaking of God being the only one who's good. He's reframing the conversation for this young guy. He's going to call this guy to something much more than being good. Because Jesus knows that being good is not the way to eternal life. Jesus knows where he's headed. Jesus knows the cross is coming. Jesus is poking holes in this guy's plan because Jesus knows that the only one who's good, the only good thing whereby you can inherit eternal life is through the goodness and the grace of God. That's why Jesus is pointing to God. Why do you call me good? God's the one who's good. That's, that's the goodness that we're looking for. And then in verse 19, he says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And then the rich young man says, I've kept all these things from my youth. And I believe him. I actually believe this is the truth. Because you know what doesn't happen? Jesus doesn't rebuke him after that. Jesus says, okay, you know the law, you know the commandments, do this, 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 and this. And the young guy says, I have done that. And Jesus then keeps going. Jesus is going to say, okay, one thing you lack. Jesus did not make a habit of glossing over sin. If you read the Gospels, here's what you'll find. When Jesus is in the presence of someone who's deceitful or someone who's sinful or someone who's manipulative or someone who's being evil, Jesus always calls that out. I love that Jesus doesn't rebuke him here. Jesus says, you got to keep these commandments. And the guy says, I have kept these commandments. And Jesus goes, okay, then here's what you lack. I think we can assume that this guy led a good life. He had kept the law. He was respectful. When we put it all together, we can see, okay, yes, this guy thinks he can earn his way into the kingdom. And I love verse 21 that starts when the man answers and says, I've kept all these laws, Jesus says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. This is a guy that Jesus wants in the kingdom. Jesus knows what he's asking. He knows he's misunderstood, but Jesus is about to give him the one thing that he lacks. Jesus is about to tell this guy, hey, what you need is me. Sometimes the Sunday school answer is the right answer. Jesus. Sometimes that's exactly the right answer. And Jesus knows that he's about to call this guy to trust in Jesus. Remember what we said, that, that we can see in this passage the ways in which we respond to Jesus. Let me pause here. Many of you have served or been involved 
in evangelism in some form. Maybe you've gone on mission trips or maybe you've worked in prison ministry or you've done outreaches where you've shared the gospel with people. Maybe you're even one of those crazy people who have gone door to door to try to witness to people, okay? But there's a common thing that happens in a lot of these evangelism approaches, and, and you've probably heard this. So, so one, of the, one of the consistent things that you see in evangelism ministry is this question that you will ask someone. You'll be talking about these things, and eventually you'll get to this question where you say, okay, if you die today and you're standing before God and God says to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And if you've done that, you already know what I'm going to say. You will get all kinds of answers, okay? I've tried to live a good life. My mom and dad raised me in church. Um, You know, I give a lot of money away. Um, I tried to be a good person. I know the Bible. You will get all of these questions Uh, these answers to this question that are extremely works-based, right? And so the reason I want to pause here is I want to make sure, I don't want to lose the opportunity to explain this. I know we, a lot of times we assume we're in church and it's all Christians, but there may be some of you here who are not followers of Jesus. And I want to explain to you what Jesus, what Jesus is about to do, what, what this guy is really being called to. Okay. So just follow me. This won't take long, but God is holy and righteous and sinless, okay? And we are not any of those things. We are unholy, we are unrighteous, and we are sinful. Listen, you've been sinning since you got here. I've been sinning since I showed up on the planet. Nobody had to teach you how to be selfish. Nobody had to teach you how to lie. Nobody had to teach you how to be mean. We are sinful. And God's word teaches that our sin is a barrier. It keeps us from being in communion with God. That in his holiness and his righteousness, our sin puts on us a debt that we cannot pay. It says that the wages of sin is death. We owe a price that we cannot pay. We're supposed to die in our sin, hopeless for the rest of all time. That's our status. We owe a debt that we can't pay. Now, when you owe money to somebody, there are two things that can happen to fix that. You can either work really hard to to pay the debt, or the person you owe the money to can just forgive the debt and just wipe it away. But what God does is this amazing thing where he does both of those. He sends his son Jesus to die your death. So Jesus takes on your sin and he sheds his blood and he goes to the cross and you get made righteous. Your sins get clean. They get forgiven and the debt gets paid because you are in Jesus. That's what Jesus does. Your debt gets paid. God, the one you owe that to, forgives you truly forgives you. What do I mean by that? That means that when you're in Jesus, when God looks at you, he's not thinking, well, yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they paid their debt, but, but really they still kind of owe me something. No, God forgives you. When God looks at you, he sees that you are in Christ. This is what the work of the cross is. This is what the empty tomb means. And this is what Jesus is going to call this guy to, believe it or not. Jesus is going to tell him, you need me. Jesus is going to tell him, it's not what you do, it's what you receive. Verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. 
Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This is bigger than a vow of poverty. This is much bigger. Jesus is calling him to something much bigger than just being generous. Jesus is, he tells this man, come follow me. This one thing you lack. Jesus knows this guy's heart and Jesus is trying to illustrate to this man that the way you come into the kingdom, the way that you follow Jesus is empty-handed. That none of your earnings, that none of your holdings, that none of your skills, that none of your deeds, that none of your history, none of that gets you eternal life. Jesus knows that this man is holding on to this one thing. His value is in this one thing. And we know he's right because the man leaves because of it. The text shows us that Jesus is exactly right. He says, one thing you lack, you're holding on to this thing. And you got to let go of this thing and you got to come follow me. And then verse 22, the sad verse, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The young man leaves discouraged. And that shows us that this was too much. The loss of the money was a deal breaker, which is so sad. I mean, if you think about it, he, he shows up, he's eager, he's respectful, he, he speaks, he honors Jesus, he asks the right questions. The guy wanted it, but there was something else he wanted more. And the lesson I think here is that Jesus knows exactly what your idols are. Jesus knows exactly what I'm holding on to. We can't earn our way into God's kingdom and Jesus will find the one thing that's keeping you from him and he will confront it head on. He wants to destroy the thing that's keeping you from following him. Jesus does not play around. Jesus looks at your achievements and he looks at your own sense of your own worth and value and he looks at your works and he says, you got to let that all go. You can't hold on to that. You have to follow me. You have to trust me, what I've done. This is not something that you earn. This is something you receive. And now, let me read you verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked him. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So the people around Jesus, his disciples, are keeping kids away from him. Now Mark 10 does not tell us why. It does not tell us anything that the disciples say of why they want these kids away. But after reading Mark 10 and seeing how busy Jesus is, I could imagine a setting in which the disciples are saying, keep the kids away. Jesus has got some real work to do here. The other thing that we don't know from Mark 10 is we don't know if these children have questions. We don't know if these children need healing. It certainly appears from the text that they just want to be near Jesus. And what happens is when these kids come, 
Mark says that Jesus takes them in his arms. He lays hands on them. He holds them. There they are, safe in the arms of Jesus, fully embraced, fully connected, which is exactly what those kids get. And it's exactly what the rich young man wanted. He wants to be connected to Jesus. He wants to be in relationship to Christ. That's what he wants. And these kids have it. The problem with the rich young man is he thinks it's on him to make that happen. He thinks it's his job to do the right things. Remember, good teacher, tell me the good things that I can do to get in good with you. There's this old quote about this text with the kids. And I have looked all week because I wanted to attribute it to the right person. I cannot find it. I don't know if I imagined it or I heard some preacher say it when I was seven, but it's been in my head ever since. And when I realized that this was the text that I needed to, to talk about today, I got so excited, but I can't find the reference, okay? So you're getting the toddified version of something I heard 38 years ago, okay? But, but somewhere I heard this, and I think it's so helpful. It's been helpful for me at least. I heard someone talk about this, and they said, you know, the reason why, why, why the children, why we say this about the children, it's not because they're innocent, Jesus is not pointing to the children because they're innocent, because they're not innocent. They're kids. They're, they're humans. They sin just like you and I sin. Jesus is not pointing to these children and saying the kingdom of God belongs to them because they're innocent. He's pointing to them because they're incapable. These, these kids don't have any money. They haven't lived very long. They probably haven't kept all the laws. These children have nothing to give in exchange for this. They have nothing to offer to Jesus for his love and compassion and relationship the kingdom belongs to them because they're incapable. These kids understand, I'm just going to go to Jesus. I'm going to trust Jesus. That's Jesus. He's the, he's the one who has eternal life. I'm, I'm going to go to him. Kids aren't old enough to probably learn they need to earn their salvation. But man, we learn that eventually, don't we? Even though we don't, we don't plan on it, we start to get this idea of it's about our good deeds and it's about our history and it's about how many Bible studies we go to and how, many, how much money we give, we do. We get all this stuff wrapped in. And Jesus is saying, let that go. This is something you receive, not something you earn. And I'm convicted by this because I have idols. And so do you. I have things that I hold on to, that I try to find my spiritual worth in. And Jesus is calling me to drop them in the dirt, to let them go. You know what one of my favorite things in the world is? This is one of my favorite things in the world to happen. And I, I'm going to say it, and you're going to laugh, but I don't care, because I'm being honest, okay? I love it when someone pays for my meal, I love it. I especially love it. And you've had this happen. And if you've, listen, if you're poor or you've been poor, you'll identify with what I'm saying. The best way to find out that somebody's buying your meal is when they tell you right when you sit down. Not, not at the end. You know, at the end, it's like, oh, no, me. Oh, no, please. You know, there's like this thing, Right? And especially if you don't have much money, you know, you're sitting there at the table and you get ready to order like, man, do I split this thing with my wife and let me make sure my kids get water because we don't have much money. See, y'all are laughing because you've been there. But do you ever notice when someone, when you sit down and they say, hey, 
this is all taken care of. You protest for about four seconds. And then you're like, uh, I'll take the quesadilla. And what Jesus is, is telling us, I think, in Mark 10, is he's sitting us down at the table and he goes, it's taken care of. It's paid. It's paid. The bill's been paid. You don't have to put anything on the table. You don't have to you can order whatever you want. You don't, this has been paid for. Listen, if you are here today and you are lost, you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand that your debt has been paid and that you can get eternal life right now sitting in your chair. You don't need me to do anything. You don't need to grab a neighbor to do anything. You can simply bow your head and you can confess, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I, my sin keeps me from you. I need my debts paid. And Jesus, I believe you're the one who's paid my debt. And I want to receive that forgiveness and I want to follow you. And you receive what Jesus has done. And you're a Christian. You don't have to take a class or sign on a dotted line. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to do anything with an elder. You can do that right now because the debt has been paid. If you're here and you're a Christian, two things I think this tells us. The first is that this is the gospel we proclaim or that we're supposed to proclaim. This is good news. You live and work and go to school with people who do not understand this. You are around people every single day who've got this backwards. And they think if they really want to get right with God, there's some stuff they got to do. And that is not true. And as a Christian, you've got to proclaim the truth to them that Jesus has paid the debt. And the second thing I think Mark 10 tells us is this. That Christians, we are very good at picking the idols back up. We're very good at reaching back and going, yeah, 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 but my Bible study. Yeah, 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 but my volunteer service. Yeah, 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 but I gave a lot of money. And Jesus is calling you to lay those idols down again today. And so, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And this is what I want to encourage you to do. If you're lost, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you are feeling that tug, you're feeling that kind of hot face, you feel kind of weird, that, that, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And in a minute, when we pray, you can pray that prayer that I talked about. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I know you've paid my debts, and I want to follow you. You can pray that in just a minute when we pray. And Christians, I want to give you this I want you in just a minute to pray for someone that you know is lost. And I want you to pray for them very specifically. I want you to pray for their eyes to be opened to the truth about the grace of Jesus. I want you to pray for opportunities for you or other people around them to help them see the true beauty of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has paid the debt. I want you to find a person in your mind that you know that's lost and I want you to pray for them. We'll pray together, and then I'll dismiss us. Would you bow? Let me pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace that you have paid the debt. That we sit down at the table 
because you have made it available to us. You have been gracious to us. You have paid the debt. God, I I pray for those in the room who may not know you, that even now they would pray and acknowledge their sinful state and their need for a Savior. God, I pray for um, the people in our lives that we know that are lost. God, I've got one who comes to mind right now. God, I, I know he is struggling. I know that he is in a dark place. And so I pray, God, that the people around this person would find ways into conversations to truly express the good news of the gospel. I pray for these people in our lives. I pray that you would make us ambassadors of the good news. That you give us boldness. And God, I pray that you'd also show us what our idols are. Show us the thing that we're holding on to that we think you care about. The thing that we think we have to do to be in your family. Would you reveal that to us and convict us of it and help us to lay it down? Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We owe you everything. You have done a miracle in redeeming us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.